Curse. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 64. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. I'm very excited about this episode. It is a very fun episode. John Gallagher, bassist, vocalist, frontman for the legendary new wave of British heavy metal band Raven, is on the podcast. I bet you can already guess what we talk about. That's right, the 1983 Kill 'em All for One tour. 17 metalheads in a Winnebago on what was Metallica's first tour of the United States, co-headlining with Raven, then label mates on Megaforce Records and managed by Johnny Z. John and I talk about Raven's formation in the early 1970s in England, some of their first tours with Motorhead, Ozzy Osbourne, Whitesnake, their first show in America with Anvil, meeting John Zazula, hearing the No Life to Leather demo, meeting Metallica, and so many fun, candid stories from the tour itself. We also talk a bit about Raven's new record, Metal City. If this is your first time listening to Speak and Destroy, well, the best way you can support us is to go into Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening platform of choice and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. Every podcast you listen to asks you to do that, and that's because it really matters. It really helps. Also want to take this opportunity to announce that we have launched a Speak and Destroy Patreon. Yay, Speak and Destroy Patreon. Head to speakanddestroy.com to get that link, which I think it's just patreon.com slash speak and destroy i probably should have looked at that before i started recording this intro what do you get besides feeling good about supporting this podcast and making sure that it continues to happen well i'm digging into my interview archives for interviews with folks who are metallica adjacent in some fashion in some cases even in metallica that were recorded at some point in my career in journalism prior to launching this podcast It feels like a little bit of a cheat to throw up episodes that are with someone that would make sense for this podcast, but weren't done specifically for this podcast. Now, I realize I've done that a couple times in the past, but those were A, really high quality interviews in terms of audio, and B, conversations that, with with only one exception, actually covered Metallica and some pretty important parts of Metallica's career. I'm thinking about, in particular, Joe Satriani and the episode with Frankie Bello and David Ellison, where we talked quite a bit about Cliff Burton. Regardless, if you become a Patreon patron, in addition to a lot of the usual stuff you might expect from a Patreon, like a t-shirt and that sort of thing, you will be getting bonus episodes. There's already a bonus episode waiting for you in there. It's from a 2015 interview I did with Glenn Danzig. Uh, This interview was done for print. It resulted in like a 250-word Q&A or something. This is the full interview, during which we, of course, talked about Metallica and a bunch of other stuff. I've got a ton more from the archives. I've been doing this for like 20 years, and it seems like a great place to park them. Also, if you become a patron, is that what it is? A Patreon? A patron of Patreon? Am I 100 years old right now as I'm recording this intro? You will also get an mp3 of the speak and destroy theme written performed produced recorded mixed by my very dear friend scott mellinger of the band zayo that's the theme that you're going to hear in a couple seconds speakingdestroy.com that's where you will find links to facebook youtube twitter instagram all the other places to follow speak and destroy and patreon.com slash speaking destroy pretty sure that's what it is if it's not you can figure it out you know it's kind of like the uh safety belt demonstrations on an airplane and the scene in Tommy Boy when David Spade's like, if you don't know how to put a seatbelt on, hit yourself in <laughs> hit yourself in the head with a hammer. 
I probably shouldn't finish that joke. You can follow me on Instagram at SuperheroHQ and on Twitter at Ryan Downing. Speaking of Stroy, as part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network, go to popcurse.com to find all of our other shows. So here it is, my conversation with John Gallagher of Raven. This is Speak and Destroy. Prior to the Kill 'Em All for One tour, which was obviously a huge step from Metallica and early part of their career, um, let's talk about what was going on with with Raven back in the day, before that, and sort of, you know, what the initial inspiration was in forming the band and and kind of the trajectory. Um, well, let's go back to when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Uh, <laughs> you know, me and my brother formed the band in 1974. Um, then we decided we'd procure instruments, which would help things greatly. Uh, we played our first show ever in like 75, went through a laundry list of drummers. And it was myself, Mark, and uh, our friend Paul Bowden, who was playing guitar as well. He quit in 79. We tried another guy, didn't work. And then we ended up getting Rob Hunter on drums and we went as a three piece. And everything changed from then. We were approached by Neat Records, who were basically just a jobbing studio that would do recordings for club artists, really. Because mm. you got to figure we were up in the northeast of England, and you know, anything 50 miles north of London was classed as here are barbarians, do not go there. You know, we had no chance uh whatsoever we were just you know trying to do our thing playing the music we loved playing the clubs mm-hmm. uh, and the manager of the tigers of pantang who had just put a single out on neat you know they pressed up a single and sent it down to sounds magazine in london and the guy loved it and that's what basically started the whole northeast part of the new wave of british heavy metal mm-hmm. we you know did our single it got played on john peel's radio show which was hugely influential in england he was on radio one and he would play new music no matter what it was so he played that and ozzy osbourne heard it and said i want those guys to play with me oh wow so from playing the clubs three months later we're touring with ozzy osbourne we're touring with white snake we're touring with motorhead we're playing shows with iron maiden and that was like the uh, Blizzard of Oz era of Ozzy. Yep. Right? First tour of England. Yeah. We did four shows. We did what, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and London, the Hammersmith Odeon. Yep. Wow. Um, yeah. And neat records, of course. It's, it's interesting to think about the Tigers of Hang Tang single and, and, and Raven getting involved because, of course, neat went on to 
put out a lot of uh, important records, including yours. Um, but you were, yeah, obviously very early there. And then pretty early linking forces with John and Marsha Zazula. I had Johnny Z on the podcast a while back and we talked about Raven, of course. Um, what can you tell me about, you know, connecting with Megaforce and, and getting into America? You know, 82 was like a, a huge year for us. We consolidated on everything we'd done in 81. We went back to Europe a number of times, you know, playing Italy and playing Holland about four or five different little, you know, seven or eight run, runs of dates. We played more dates in England. And we all of a sudden had this communication from this guy who said he ran the biggest import store on the eastern seaboard of the States and wanted to bring us over for what was in effect a, a little festival and then a bunch of dates, which turned out to be the Halloween Headbangers Ball in Staten Island, which was on Halloween night of 1982. Wow. And, you know, it was like, you want to play the States? Yes. <laughs> so uh, over we came. And, you know, it was it was nuts. We were staying at Johnny C's house. And Johnny C, especially then, was a, a, we, a kind of character we'd never met before. He was like this wild-eyed monk who was preaching the gospel of rock and roll and heavy metal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, very intense eyes like ping pong balls and wouldn't shut up, you know, crazy. But, uh, you know, he put his money literally where his mouth was. He brought us over and we did that show, which was maybe three, three and a half thousand kids. And it was nuts. It was crazy. We opened, Anvil played and then Riot played. And we got on great with Anvil, but Riot were... They were jerks, to be honest. They tried to sabotage us. And wow. They took like a five-hour sound check so nobody else could sound check and all that stuff. But it didn't really matter. You know, we did our thing. We went down a storm. And then we played like four or five other dates with Anvil around the tri-state area. And it was, you know, at the end of it, let's come back and do it bigger and better in 1983. And, uh, wow, Anvil, what another important seminal band much like raven and in that era especially well and yeah i mean they were the they were the them and exciter were like the hard-edged bands out of canada at that time definitely mm. so you know we we planned to come back in 83 and planning this tour and john gets in touch and says i've got the biggest band in san francisco to open for you on the tour <laughs> and we're all non-plus to go and why would Y&T or Journey want to open for us <laughs> no it's Metallica and we're like who never heard of them so you know Pigeon Post brings the No Life Till Nether demo tape and we put it on and it sounds like Motorhead at 78 so we go yeah that's, that's cool these guys will do this is good Motorhead at 78. That's amazing. Yeah, I always, I always think about the, the DNA, the blueprint of that early, early Metallica as Motorhead plus Diamond Head, you know, through, oh, the, oh, through the lens of America. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly what it was. It, you know, you, you got it in a nutshell. Uh, so we came over to do the tour and they came over to the house and, you know, they were out of control. Uh, you know, <laughs> Lars was the 
as is now the, the go-getter the looking for an angle wide-eyed trying to pick it all up you know james was happy and drunk <laughs> happier and drunk and uh cliff was the the old soul on young shoulders oh gosh um, yeah we, we got on with them great and we went out and did that ridiculous tour which was 17 people in two trucks and a winnebago that held six bunks oh uh so within 17 three, people <laughs> within three days i had the tour manager up against the wall screaming hotels or oh, we we quit we leave but <laughs> <laughs> winnebago and people forget you know when you because you think about winnebago's traveling around the country but those aren't made for touring bands. Those are made for retirees who are having a leisurely yeah, stroll with their road trip. Or like Cliff Burton deciding to rip the door off the toilet or <laughs> James diving through the air and landing on the table, destroying it, meaning, oh, there's two people who can't. There's no beds there now. The bed's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at some point mattresses were procured and stuck in the back of the truck and we actually spent most of our time traveling in the back of the truck wow believe uh, it or not yeah I, that, that makes sense uh, although although quite unsafe it was probably much more comfortable well especially again after cliff who i said was the old soul on young shoulders but he was just as crackers as they were he did the unmentionable in the toilets on, which you're never oh, supposed to do on a tour bus. Yeah. And then he ripped the door off. So <laughs> the smells were there. It smelled like, you know, rotten pork for the rest of the, the journey, pretty much. <laughs> I think that lasted until somebody finally decided by New Mexico they should dump the tanks oh, and get wow. rid of all this crap. So. Well, and I would imagine... You know, because when I think about Raven in those days, especially I think about the theatricality of the band, you know, in addition to the music, the band had a, a very high energy live performance and, and overall vibe. Uh, would you say that you were, you know, it sounds like you kind of met your match in terms of offstage, you were probably much more reserved than those guys. Oh, well, we were always more reserved offstage. We kept it on stage where it belongs you know yeah and, yeah you know vice versa they were obviously a lot more restrained on stage than what we were <laughs> uh we'd had that grounding of playing the working men's clubs in the northeast right was ent entertain us or die and you know when metallica had an audience in front who were raring to go they, they, you know there was no stopping them they they were in their element but if they had to win over a crowd, that was a new thing. You know, mm -hmm. and we played places like Bald Knob, Arkansas, and especially a show in Oklahoma, which was literally the Blues Brothers scene with a chicken wire. <laughs> I mean, exactly. But one of my favorite was, movies of all time and one of my favorite scenes. There was no chicken wire. <laughs> so Metallica came on, started playing, and people started throwing stuff at them. And it was hitting them, and they just kind of like backed off, and they were all like kind of huddled in the corner trying to get through the set, you know. And we laughed and went out, and they tried that with us. But we jumped out on the tables and kicked the beer over, and they, come on, is that all you got? And they loved it, and of course, just kept throwing more, exactly like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> It reminds you of like the some of the Sex Pistols shows too, where 
They're spitting on them. Yeah, they love them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was Laws had come up and just said, like, how do you do that? You know, if, if the audience is being antagonistic and how do you do that? And it's just like, well, don't you believe in what you do? We do. Um, you know, we're, we're up for a fight any night of the week. We don't care. <laughs> so, you know, and we've been in that situation. We used to have to play uh, south of Newcastle near Sunderland, which is the rival football team. And I mean rival in a pure hatred. Yeah, much, much different than the football teams of America. Oh, no, no. This is like pitched battles, skinheads, yeah. you know, kick your head in stuff. So here's the boys from Newcastle. Never went down well with the audience, you know. It was booze and they would uh, bring up beer mats with requests on. So, you know, one would say smoke on the water. This one would say victim of changes. And then the next one would just say fuck off, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So that, that was our grounding. And the shows on this Kill em All For One tour went from the ridiculous to the sublime. You know, we'd play clubs in Jersey that were great. Lamos in New York, great. Uh, we jumped on one of Motorhead shows up in Buffalo. So there's a lineup for you, Motorhead, Raven, and Metallica. Wow. And it was, you know, incredible. It was really fun hanging out with Lemmy and Filthy. And, of course, Robbo was drunk in the corner <laughs> all the way through it. And then the Chicago show, which was filmed, of course, as we all know. was yep. uh, Yeah, and, and which Metallica just uh, showed their set from that on their YouTube channel a few weeks ago. Right. We didn't get our copy of that for many, many years until like about, ooh, I don't know, about eight, eight or nine years ago. And we finally put a few songs out on the DVD documentary thing we put out a few years back called Rock Until You Drop. So it's on there. That was a great show. But following that, I think we had a day off and then we drove to Arkansas. And then it was all weird. Arkansas, <laughs> uh, Texarkana. I remember we played and me and Lars got invited to go on a radio show. So guy picks us up, we go there and, you know, the usual, the desk and the microphones and the guy say, yeah, man, heavy metal, man. It's where it's at. It's so cool, you know? And he's got this record sleeve under the desk and he's like reading off it because he <laughs> obviously has no idea what heavy metal is. And he has the heavy metal soundtrack. So oh, going, wow. Yeah, man, you know, Don Felder, man, you know. <laughs> We're looking at each other. What? <laughs> and Lars is like, hey, man, I mean, we're more into stuff like Motorhead. I don't know if you know those guys, but uh, we're not into Don Felder. <laughs> and then so after great. the interview, they took us to a bar, and apparently we were being prodded into a drinking competition. Now, I don't drink, and at the time, Lars didn't drink. So they, want, they, were just, they just handed pictures of beer, and it was like, chug, chug, chug. We're like, no, we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Let us leave now. So that was nuts. And we, they played at a, a place, oh, God, maybe Tarrant County Convention Center in Little Rock. Mm. 
and that was a 10,000 seat arena. Wow. And we turned up and the guys said, I'm so happy to have you guys here. I heard you did real well in Madison Square Garden last month. I'm like, <laughs> what? Oh dear, this is going to be fun. So yeah, a huge 10,000 seat arena, a band with gear, geared for a you know thousand seater club at best. And we had our little light truss. They got a couple of forklifts to light it up, lift it up above us. And there's maybe two, three hundred people there. And of course, you hit a note and it went <laughs> like an oil drum. Uh, so yeah, we got out of there as soon as <laughs> possible. That was ridiculous. Amazing. But, uh, you know, we played these shows in Texas, and some of them were well attended, and others weren't. But the audiences were all great. They all loved it. We moved into New Mexico. Uh, one show in Texas, we were setting up, and the place kind of looked like a church, you know, kind of like a long hall with the big doors. And the doors burst open, and in comes this phalanx of armored police with this woman with a pump-action shotgun in front wow. with, a, with a mirrored shades. She goes, gentlemen, someone's been caught outside smoking marijuana. I need you to pack up your equipment and leave town in 30 minutes. <laughs> and we're like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> no problem. And that was the end of that show. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> but again, very sounds very Blues Brothers. You had a very Blues Brothers experience in 1983. You know, this whole thing is so improbable, it's, it's not even funny. So we got into New Mexico, did a couple of cool shows there. Uh, and then I believe we played Phoenix, introduced to the wonders of great Mexican food. And then we went to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. which was the country club in Reseda, which was, you know, really cool for us. Uh, you know, finally getting to visit California. Um, again, Lars with his uh, LA sucks, man, LA sucks, man. And he pulls you a box full of brand new symbols. And, oh, why are you hiding them? Well, man, you gotta look. You gotta look good. It's LA. <laughs> that was a cool show. There was a whole bunch of people there, like Brian Slagle and the guys from Armored Saints, and all that lot were there. So that, that was a, and that was packed. That was a great show. Yeah, and it's important, I think, for people listening to understand that during that era, Raven was the premier band on Megaforce was, you know, all for one had outsold Kill 'Em All. And, you know, it wasn't long before you were off to the major labels yourself. So it was a very oh, exciting. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we'd been out, uh, obviously as a band for years and had been recording and touring on a professional level for three years. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a difference there. And, you know, the records, the first two on imports had done really well over here. So, you know, having a bit of push and putting out the third one on a domestic label was, was great, you know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and also Anthrax was part of uh, Megaforce back then, of course, and um, also part of that tour at some point, right? 
No, they were never on that tour. They were never, they didn't open any of their shows? No, they were never on. They were always hanging around up in New York and that. Uh-huh. And from the get-go. <laughs> I mean, uh, the first shows we played, Scott and Danny, I think were just about all of them. Um, you know, great guys who kindred spirits they were you know just crazy metalheads absolutely uh but no then they didn't play on any shows exodus actually opened on i believe the three san francisco bay area shows that's right there were three those were at at the end of the tour right like three uh i want to say berkeley yeah it was uh palo alto berkeley and san francisco so we we played the LA gig and we had to get up to San Francisco. So we're in the Winnebago and we're driving up the highway, got music on, everyone's happy. And then kaboom, you know, the engine just throws a rod and gives up and there's flames leaping out. And yeah. it's like, oh, here we go. So we all got in the back of the truck and they took, for some stupid reason, a route over the mountains by like, is it Mount Palomar or Mount, Mount Lake where the, the telescopes are? Mm. I, mean, I, sh- I should know since I live in California, but horrifying. I don't. You know, it's like thousand foot drops off the side of the road and all this stuff. And that's another great Lars moment where we're sitting on cases in the back of the truck and he says to Kirk, can I hold your hand? I'm really scared. <laughs> to everyone's great mirth, of course, but. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure teased about relentlessly oh, oh, afterwards. I mean, the truck had like an open doorway you could see into the car, and you, you could see it was just, you know, dropping off into space at, at any, any, you know, possible time coming down this road here. So I remember we stopped off and spent a night at some little town, which was straight out of the twilight zone, you know, so, you know, middle America, white bread, with a little roundabout with the trees on it. And we were woken by somebody from a diner chasing the Metallica guys down the street because they hadn't paid the bill. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in a kind of town where, yeah, they, oh, they, yeah, could, they, could, they, end, they could end up on the menu at the diner for not oh, paying oh, the yeah, bill. They, they would have they shot you for that, that's for sure. <laughs> Just uh, another day in paradise. Uh, so we all got in the trucks and... There we were up to Palo Alto, and, and those three shows were were awesome. They were jammed, and we got to see what the Bay Area headbangers were all about. Because you know, people jumping on stage and stage diving and all that was very alien to us, and we get upset about it heavily. Because <laughs> they're going to knock over the gear. It's not your stage. You want to get on stage, go and learn to play guitar and form a band. Get up here, you're going to get the back end of a guitar over your head. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it wasn't long after that tour, you know, a, a couple years later or, or less, um, that the band relocated kind of officially from Newcastle to New York. Is that right? Well, it kind of just happened, you know, we finished that tour, everything was great. And it was like, next year, it's going to be a new record. We're going to come over, we're going to tour and work our behinds off until we get a major deal and until we get a major agency. Because that was another thing we wanted to be, you know, with MCI, 
or the ICM, sorry, or Premier or somebody like that. We wanted a good agent. And that's what we did. We came back in 84 and toured. And, and that's when Anthrax were the opening band. Oh, okay. Okay, that's right. Yeah, well, I was mixing it up. Um, and, I, and I remember, and this is kind of random, and this is skipping ahead a few years, but I remember I had the uh, Combat Records Ultimate Revenge 2. Uh, I used to, with, uh, you know, uh, obviously Raven and I think Dark Angel and uh, yeah, Death were on that. and Fear for Fear and Death and the ultimate rear end two, we called it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the thing is about those, those kind of video cassette releases, I mean, for fans, you know, I was growing up in Indiana and that was... You know, obviously I wasn't really seeing any of those bands on MTV with any regularity. So that when you had a VHS like that, you would, my friends and I would wear those out. Oh, absolutely. That was like uh, dispatches from the other end of the, of the world, you know? Definitely. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Great, great way to put it. Um, well, speaking of skipping ahead uh, in a massive way, Metal City 2020, that is the first Raven record in five years um what can you tell me about making a raven record in 2020 and and you know as we're sitting here talking about the old days uh, you know what yeah, are some- this, this record took uh, a lot of twists and turns uh, we didn't want it to take five years but uh, forces were assigned against us i, I guess we did very well with the last record, Extermination, did an awful lot of touring, played a lot of places we hadn't played before. And we were writing, 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 had a great bunch of songs. I mean, 30, 35 songs at least to choose from. So we were in a really good place. And we'd learned a lot from really knuckling down with the writing process with Extermination. and. Personally, I had a lot of stupid quirks and stupid little placeholder things I would put in stuff and just took it all out and, you know, got to the, the essence a lot quicker. So mm. we got the songs together a lot quicker. And we had basically all the songs ready. And then our drummer of the, basically the past 30 years, Joe Hasselvander, had a heart attack. And yeah. boom, he's out of the picture. And we had a string of dates two days after he had the heart attack. So we booked rehearsal in Chicago. We got this guy in. He did a great job. The next three dates, we get this guy called Mike Heller, who we don't know anything about. And we talk to him for half an hour. We get up on stage and we play a perfect gig. And we're looking at each other like, what? How is this possible? The guy nailed it. It's just like, but why did you do this and that? He goes, well, that's what's on the studio records. Really. Oh, no, no, no. You need to have it more clear. Really? I can do that? Yeah. So the next show is a thousand percent better and the next show is a thousand percent better than that. And we had to then go and do a festival in Sweden and an 11 date European tour, which he couldn't do. And we're just like, we'll talk when we get back, which we did and just said, you know, you want in? And from then, you know, played him the music and he went off and did his drum tracks, which is a different process for us because we were used to doing it. Uh, one of the few bands that would actually do it all in the same room. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, logistically, that would have been a bit of a nightmare. So he'd said, well, give me some trucks and I'll show you what I can do. Because the only experience we'd had with doing anything like that before was the Packers Back album, which didn't work for us. It sucked the feel out of what was going on. Yeah. But, uh, Mike proved us wrong. He sent us tracks back, which blew our heads off. And he was playing like an amalgamation of really of like Rob and, you know, and then some of the stuff Joe does, a lot of his own and a lot of new. So it, it really was an infusion of new blood in every sense of the way, but it had its grounding in our roots, which was awesome. And, you know, those elements were in these songs, but they just got brought out even more by really by his performance, you know, and yeah. that was up the, the behind to, you know, kick out more on our end and, uh, follow his lead and where he changed things we'd go along with that and you know there was a little bit of to and fro which is great and we just ended up just getting a really really good album out of it at the end yeah and he has such mike has such wide experience in different types of bands you know for him to to then focus oh, it on raven from death metal to country so that, yeah. that's good. That's real good because we we don't, you know, we're not the type of people that, uh, you know, like I listen to Deep Purple or the Young Band Study. Like I listen to Slayer, and that's it. So you're going <laughs> to end up sounding like you're going to end up sounding like that band. That's it. Mm-hmm. Our sound was never constructed that way. It was constructed from kids listening to lots of kinds of music and pulling out of it what they wanted and you know, mixing it together and coming up with something new. So he's just continuing in, in that progression of just throwing some new ideas into what we're doing. And I mean, we got together oh, June of 2017. I think we did 150 shows in that year alone with him Wow! in six months. Well, and for him to make his debut on this record is awesome because it's it's a slam and raven record i think uh battle scarred is you know a track that is among the best the band has ever done across the whole deep catalog um and of course as we're talking about the kill them all for one tour it's not lost on me that it says all for one and one for all well yeah i mean you know that's style if you if you steal from yourself it's style (laughs) exactly well it's it's there's a there's a comfort in the familiar and i think that that's always for bands who have had um, a, an enduring career and that maintain relevance, I think you always want to hear a little bit. I mean, Metallica, Death Magnetic, and Hardwired have have bits that sound like older Metallica records, but it's like they're yeah, borrowing from like themselves. The, the best records they've done in an awful long time. And the same way, I mean, we've always tried to keep one foot in, you know, this is who we are, and then experiment and play around with that. Yeah. And we've, we've obviously done that on this, so it's like 1982 gets dragged into the 21st century. We've mm-hmm. got that feel, we've got that energy, the, the aggression, but it's also got the production value, which is nice to have. And it's not a, you know, for want of a better word, a fake production. It's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's did a great job in bringing out that old school feel, but having the sonics and the power without you going, oh, that sounds like that's been faked or something like that. There's none of that. 
it's organic, it's real, it's in your face. And, you know, that doesn't dis distract you from the music. You just listen to the music. And I think for a band that's been around as long as we have, to put out what I think is the best thing we've ever done, that's thrown down the gauntlet. There's a yeah. lot of bands. You know, and a, and a lot of reviews uh, agree with you. I've seen a lot of reviews of this record I mean, saying it's I've the best Raven ever. 50, 50, 60 reviews. I've got one that's lukewarm. Yeah, that's, not even bad, just lukewarm. never happens. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, that never happens. I don't care how good you are or how popular you are. I mean, again, take Metallica. It's so polarizing. Half the mm -hmm. people are going to love it. Half the people are going to hate it. And three quarters of people are going to hate it are just hating it because they're idiots, you know? So you, you can't, you, all you can do is try to please yourself and hopefully the people that understand you will come along for the ride. And, you know, for us, it's, it's getting, getting new people into it, which has been happening live, of course, over the last three years. We've played so many new places, it's ridiculous. And getting out there doing support slots, which again is a thing that we never really had the opportunity to do much of. So that introduces you to a whole new audience. Mm -hmm. And so the hard work we've done over the last few years has built us into a position with this record where we can't tour right now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, everyone's it, in the same boat. It come out in May and things weren't coming together with a, the touring package we wanted. So we said, ah, let's put it off till September. And then boom, the pandemic came along. Mm. But we've got dates booked in Europe for February. And, you know, we think that's going to come off and we'll just continue on from then. So all looking good. Well, an another great way to tie the new record together with a uh, Metallica-themed podcast would be uh, producer Michael Wagner. Yeah, I mean, that came by chance. We'd actually started this record with a guy and it didn't work out uh, for reasons I really don't want to get into, but we just cut ties and said, nope, and scrapped the whole thing and said, well, you know, Mike Heller was moving to LA, so he was going to make a studio. And we're like, we'll do it there. So we do the Monsters of Rock cruise in January 2018, and Michael Wagner's on the cruise, our old friend. <laughs> so, hey, Michael, would you like to mix the new record when we do it? He goes, yeah, I'm into that. That'd be great. So we're like, okay, cool. We got, we got that pinned down. That's great. And then he gets in touch and says, when are you going to have the record ready? I says, well, he's building his studio. It's not going to be for a few more months. He says, uh, I'm going into hospital for a major procedure next month. So why don't you come to my studio and we'll record it now? Which wow. is what we did. Within here and that, two days later, we were packed and on the road up to Nashville to Wireworld Studios and, you know, Michael engineered the bass, the guitar and the vocals. And, you know, we, we did all that and had a wonderful time, as we always do. <laughs> he's uh, the mad German. He's, he's brilliant. And got everything down the way we wanted it. And we mixed it and the mix was, for want of a better word, it just wasn't there, you know. Mm -hmm. So then we had to go through the process of auditioning people, giving them tracks and saying, you know, what can you do with this? What can you do with this? And this guy, Zeus, just knocked it out of the park. Uh, so we let him have free reign to go at it. 
and boom, then we have the record together. Well, I should say, full disclosure, I'm uh, both a journalist and an artist manager, and I, I'm uh, the manager for Zeus. So oh, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that unprompted. You did a phenomenal job. It's, it's you know, I'll, sonically, I'll put this record up against anything. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a million books. And he was very excited yeah, to, to have the opportunity. It's had to come out, you know, so it's got that 3D in your face. You're in the room with a band beating mm-hmm. in your head, you know. And sometimes that's the right combination where you get a great producer who gets captures the great performances and then a mixer that, that you know, brightens it up and brings it all to the front. But Michael Wagner's always said, all we ever need is a monkey who knows how to push record and then knows how to push stop. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we've produced ourselves since 1986. Uh, it's just a question of working with the right people to get our vision you know, down yeah. on the or a hard drive or whatever they're going to call it next week, you know. <laughs> so, you know, Michael captured that. He's the, he's the guy for guitar sounds and he's so cool to work with doing vocals. Bass sounds took, and it took me, what, like three minutes to get the bass sound. It was ridiculous. And I, I knocked off all the bass tracks in an afternoon. Uh, you know, because I demoed them about 50 times so I knew what I was doing uh, but he did that and then you know Zeus just took it you know every stage the, the right guys came in and took it to the next level hmm. talk to me about the comic book concept hopefully you're not talked to death about it because I'm sure you've been know. asked about it before I but it. As, a, as, a, as a kid who grew up reading comic books and now of course seeing comic books conquer the world I was I was tickled to see the uh you know, the marriage of the comic book form and one of the classic new wave of British heavy metal bands, Raven. No, well, that's us. We're cartoon characters for sure. (laughs) Um, And that was the idea was for a t-shirt originally. And the artist who was drawing it was just, it, it, it drives you crazy. You know, when you commission somebody to do something and all of a sudden they're Toulouse Lautrec and you're destroying their vision. It's like, you know, well, we'll just go somewhere else. So we, you know, the guy insisted on drawing Mark's face like the Hulk. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't look like the Hulk. Stop it. <laughs> so we took that idea away and we were discussing the album and Mike just said, well, why don't we take that idea and do it like a comic? Do a comic book. We'll put all the little odds and ends on the front cover. You know, all the stuff that says like... Uh, you know, approved by metal maniacs. You know, all, all the nonsense that's on the DC and Marvel mm-hmm. the classic comics, put all that on. And then we'll have a booklet. Like, yeah, well, let's do a piece of art for each song. Great. And then it was uh, the thank you page. Let's do the ad page. You know, that they would have in there with the x-ray specs and the Charles yeah. Atlas and all that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was great. I got to sketch a lot of that nonsense out. We put all that in. And, and then it, it's, a, it's a standalone thing. And then it, it's a, a real throwback in that it's, a, it's an immersive experience. Mm-hmm. You've, got a, you've got a great album that's not too long. It's 10 songs, what, 35, 40 minutes just the right length so when it's finished you want to play it again you get your head around that and you've got a great booklet to look at with lots of information and cool art and for us of course it's uh 
you know, we've got t-shirt material till the end of time. So that, that's always a good thing to have. Absolutely. And I, yeah, and I love that, you know, I, I think these days, as much as we can decry the, the decline of physical media, I think it's also inspired bands like yours to give people a reason to buy the physical. You well, know, it's like, yeah. that, oh, genre of music, whatever you want to call it this week, the broader term, not the, you know, the purple colored deaf, uh, original melodic grindcore, whatever they want to call it this week, heavy metal, for want of a better word. Uh, we like physical media. We like the CD. We like the vinyl. We like mm -hmm. to have it in our hand. You know, a faceless download doesn't really do much for me. And it doesn't do much for our fans. So, you know, we've always made a point of having a, a good package. And this, just like the album, went that step further and raised the bar higher. So, I mean, I'd seen it all. But when the, the actual item arrived in the mail and I opened it up, I was blown away. Because it, it, as a, you know, as the full package, it's great. It looks so cool. I love it. And I, yeah, and I can, I, you know, so many hours spent in my bedroom listening to records and, and studying the artwork and reading the liner notes and see, seeing who they thanked and, you know, oh, they thanked this band. I should check that band out. I haven't heard them. Yeah. Who's the producer? Who, who worked on this? Who's on the thank you list? And then pouring over the photographs or the art. And, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's huge. It's really what it, what it was all about. So to, you know, do our bit to bring that into the consciousness is, uh, you know, we're, we're happy and proud to do that, definitely. Absolutely. Um, well, John, thank you so much for making the time to do this. This has been fantastic. You came ready to play. You had all the stories I could want to hear. Uh, so it, it, uh, yeah, it worked out beautifully. I appreciate cool. that. Um, yeah, and uh, best of luck uh, taking care of the water heater situation. That is definitely no fun. Yeah, that's, uh, here we go. Let's get that together. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a Sopranos episode where the water heater goes. I just finished re-watching The Sopranos for like the fifth time. Oh, so I, I, I have many of them to watch. I, I maybe watched the first season and life got in the way, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to get back in there. It's the one. It's the one for which, from which all the others sprung. It's sort of the, uh, you know, when you think about great TV shows, um, it's kind of the raven of TV shows. Oh, I'll take that compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> from which so many other branches of the tree sprung. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been a real treat uh, getting to talk to you. Um, and uh, best of luck with the new record. And I hope we get to talk again. I'm sure we will. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. You have a good one. Thanks so much, John. Bye-bye.